It says in uh, verse 15 of chapter 3, In case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And then he goes on and he, he gives this this confession or this this statement about who Christ is. And last week we looked at that and just it's it's amazing how much Paul packed into just that one verse, those six little phrases about the person and the work of Christ. Well, as I was as I was studying and preparing and looking towards this week, um, part of me was a little bit worried because uh, my family and I went on a, a trip. We went down to Arizona, and thank you to those of you who were praying for us. It was a good trip. Um, it was a good opportunity to to share the love of Christ with some family members um, and also just a, a nice time for the family to be away. But I was a little bit worried, okay, I'm I'm traveling, but I still get to preach, so how am I going to make this work? Well, I, I was excited because I had sufficient time. I had, I'd say I had plenty of time to study and, and dig into God's Word, and it was, it was great. And then one day I, I looked over at my wife, and I'm like, um, it's been great. I've, I've had plenty of time to study, but, but this passage is just so simple. How do I preach this? How do I, 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 don't know, I don't know if anybody else ever does this. But when, I'm, when I'm reading through Scripture, um, I, I get myself distracted sometimes, I'll, I'll admit. You guys know this about me already. That's, that's okay. Um, I'll be reading through, and sometimes I'll come across something that is just deep and profound, and it, it takes tons and tons of time and effort and research and studying and digging into it. And I, I love those times. I hope that as you read through Scripture, sometimes you come across those phrases. One of my favorites is that but God phrase. Because it means, okay, there's all this stuff, but wait a minute, pay attention, something's different because of who God is. That's, that's a really good one. And those always make me pause and, and dig in. Well, last week's, we spent a big chunk of time on three verses, really on two of those. But this week, I picked ten verses. I'm like, man, this is going to be big, this is going to be huge, how am I going to... And then I got digging into it, and I'm like, you know... This one's one of those that's really, really simple. It, it says it. It's nice and clear. It's very plain and, and easy to understand. And yet, what I kept running into is it's not that easy to do. So I'm going to start off with an example. Then we're going to read and, and we'll, we'll break it apart and, and kind of dig into it. How many of you, it may have been a little while ago for ones like me, or you may be doing it still, but how many of you have ever gone to a gym and worked out? Okay, most of you. So you, you know what this is like, right? I, I love using the example of, of physical exercise. I, I had an opportunity while I was in seminary to disciple a young man who, I mean, he was, he was ripped. He was big and he was strong. He, he actually, <clears throat> his job was as a bouncer, at various bars because he was he was big and imposing. Um, unfortunately, and I'm not going to tell you all of his his history. He's, he's got a, a quite the testimony. I love hearing testimonies; they're great. Um, but he he actually ended up going to prison. And while he was there, 
he was talking to the chaplain and he got saved. And he got out of prison and that's, that's when he and I got connected. And it, it's, he has an amazing testimony. I love hearing it. Um, but it's, it's his story to tell. I don't want to tell his story. My point is, he got saved. And he was looking at these, these other believers. And he's like, how did you guys get to be such godly men? Like, I want to be that. I want to get there. And I, I took one look at his biceps, which are bigger around than my thighs. I mean, he, I'm telling you, this guy, he was huge. I'm like, how'd you get those, those muscles? Well, I went to the gym. Okay. Well, what? One, once? <laughs> no. Once a week? <laughs> no. Like every day? Oh, okay, cool. And, and what did it take then to become this strong? Did you just walk in and then walk back out? <laughs> no. And obviously he knew I was, I was just pulling his leg a little bit. Like that's what it takes to become the follower of Christ that we need to become. It's not just a one time or a once a week or really even a once a day thing. I would encourage you, as soon as you wake up, pray. But it's a constant, continuous thing. In order for us to develop those kinds of spiritual muscles, and I'm sure you guys have already pictured one of those great, big, strong individuals. The the details aren't that important. To get that level, it takes constant effort and work. And I think that that's really what Paul's doing in this. See, it's not hard to go into a gym. If most of you, I'm pretty sure almost everybody's hand went up. You know what it takes to be able to build muscles. You go in, you pit, find something heavy, and you move it. And then you do that again, and again, and again, and again. It's not the, the first one that's hard. I mean, yeah, maybe you set a goal that's really high. I, I wouldn't encourage you to walk in and try and pick up the 100-pound dumbbell and, and start curling it. But I'm guessing every one of us could walk in and get the two pound or the three pound or the five pound and get started and then work up from that. As I read through this passage, and I'm going to here in just a moment, I know this is a long intro, but it's okay. I hope it makes sense. When I read through this, it's kind of like that that five pound dumbbell. Really, really simple on its face in the basics. The challenge is not to go in and do it once but to make it a regular part of our lives to constantly and continuously be developing and growing spiritually. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Paul says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine, which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, 
On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we spend some time studying your word, Lord, sometimes it is very simple to read through and understand what it's saying, and so difficult to implement. So, Father, I pray that as we go through it, we would put into practice the things that we know, the things that we learn, that we would be changed by your word, that we would live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I do, there, there is a lot in this. Please don't misunderstand me and think that I'm saying that there's not a lot. But as I was going through it, what kept standing out to me is the simplicity of it. It starts off, the Spirit explicitly says. So this is something that, that Timothy shouldn't be surprised by. He's, he's about to get into something that it's known it's obvious. In latter times, some will fall away. Now, I started digging into this one, and I'm like, okay, are, are we talking end times? Because there's a lot of end times prophecy and a lot of stuff going on with that. And, and uh, I know I've talked about Wednesday nights. I encourage you to come out. Uh, Paul's been going through, or not Paul, sorry, Jack has been going through end times and uh, dealing with the book of Revelation and a lot of stuff that's in there. Um, and I'm like, okay, so I, I read that. I, again, maybe you read the Bible a little differently than I do, but I get distracted as I'm going through and my mind just runs. And I, I read this in, in later times, in the last times. So is this dealing with end times or not? Well, I don't think that his primary focus is the end times at this point. I think that he's giving Timothy just a reasonable to be expected thing. And I started pondering on that. In latter times, some will fall away. Some people are going to go away from the faith. And you know, we see that. We see that happening around us. We see that as a normal, unfortunately normal event or activity that happens. That people who used to be here aren't here anymore. And, and not just aren't here with us, because, I mean, there are reasons that people move or they, they go somewhere else or something happens. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But a lot of people just completely walk away from the faith. And they said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I want to live for Jesus. I want to do things. We, we see it a lot with kids and teens. As they grow up and they become adults, they go off to college. And for some reason, it's at that point, and I, I think largely um, they stopped believing or, or never believed in the first place, but they, they started walking away much younger than at college. It's just at that point they have opportunity and they get to make their own choices and they walk away. And, and it, it happens a lot and we see it a lot. And I think Paul is telling Timothy, don't be surprised by this. This is going to happen. People are going to walk away. But what causes that? Why is it? Well, they get distracted, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, if you look around at the world 
today, there's all kinds of different false teachings. Um, and, and we've already addressed that Paul is really focused on that in 1 Timothy. He's dealing with certain things in that environment, in that location, of false doctrines that need to be dealt with. They need to be addressed. They need to be handled. And he's going to mention a couple of those here in just a moment. But really what it boils down to is deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. These are things that Satan's been doing ever since the very beginning. You look all the way back in the book of Genesis, and, and Satan walks up to Eve and is like, did God really say... Same thing's still happening. And so, people fall away or are drawn away from the faith because of these things. But it's, it's their choices, it's their decisions to do so. But they get focused on or paying attention to these other things instead of the things of Christ. It says, uh, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared as with a branding iron in their own conscience. It, it becomes, it gets to the point where it ends up being like a callous. And we've even used that phrase sometimes, that they're calloused away from the things of Christ. And it's unfortunate to see um, Actually, this, this week, we had an opportunity to interact with someone that grew up in a Christian family, that, that knows the truth, that knows about these things, and has made decisions to walk away, to do their own thing, to not follow the things of Christ. And I, It's kind of challenging to watch. And I, I'm going to guess that most of you right now can think of somebody, and it's like, man, why? What happened? Why, why do they walk away from these things? Well, it says by means of hypocrisy and of liars. There's the truth, and then there's all kinds of false teaching and false doctrines and things that draw us away from who Christ is and what he expects us to be, what he expects us to do. Paul gives two specific examples that I think primarily focus in this culture and in, in what he's dealing with. But again, we actually see them come up over and over and over again. The two that he mentions are that, that there are people who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. That's verse 3. Understanding of, of marriage becomes a big issue and you, you see it come up over and over throughout Scripture. But again, that's one of those, you go all the way back to Genesis. And God creates and establishes and gives the guidelines of what marriage is supposed to be. And this, this is one of those areas that I got thinking about. And I'm like, it, he, he puts it so simply, so basically, that there are men who forbid marriage. And as a result, as, as a result of misunderstanding marriage and what God designed marriage for, how God designed marriage to be, what it's supposed to be, all of that, people get led astray and they go, go into all kinds of stuff. We look around us and we see that today constantly. A misunderstanding of uh, the way that God intended sexuality in general to be. So there's nothing new about this that, that we're dealing with in our world around us today. Paul was 
dealing with it with Timothy there. But, again, when we go back to what did God design? What did God create? What is God's goal? We see right from the beginning that God creates marriage. God defines marriage. And, and we're not going to take time today to dig into all of that. Uh, it's a great study. It's a great thing to understand what God's design for marriage is. But one of the issues that Timothy was dealing with is people try and teach the wrong things about marriage. Try and lead away from God's design. And in, in that time, they forbid marriage. Which is interesting to me that kind of the, the way that the things of the world go, sometimes it's an exact duplicate and sometimes it's the complete opposite of what was done in the past. And I, I was looking down through church history and there have been groups that say, no, marriage is bad. You're not allowed to be married. In fact, one of the big ones right now is Catholic Church is like priests cannot be married. They have to take a vow of celibacy. I'm like, I don't know where they get that. I don't know how they come across that because Paul's addressing it here. But then on the opposite side, we do have, as you guys know, throughout the United States, there's a big argument, big discussion on, oh, well, well, this counts as marriage, and this counts as marriage, and this... Like, none of that is accurate. It's all, what, what did God design? And that's what we're supposed to enjoy. Which is what he then gets into in the next section. Um, he says... Where is it? There it is. Verse 3. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Again, God created food. God created things to be enjoyed. And we go back to Genesis and God gets done creating things and he looks at it and he says, Behold, this is very good. And God gives instructions about what's to be eaten. And then sin enters, things happen, and later he does give permission for meat to be eaten. Originally it was, it was vegetarianism. Then later God says, okay, eat meat. In fact, we get into the New Testament, God reveals to Peter, like, hey, I've created all of these things for you to enjoy. And so, again, they run into this issue that there are people who are trying to tell them, trying to... Proclaim to them, you know, you're, you're not allowed to get married. You're not allowed to eat foods. You're, you're, all of these do's and don'ts and, and this and that. And, and Paul's, I think he's trying to boil it down to be very, very simple. God created things to be enjoyed. And he has standards about how that's to be done. And it, it's important that we understand those standards. And even in uh, the book of Acts, when there's this misunderstanding about, okay, do the Jew Jewish food laws matter or not? How do we deal with that? How do we move forward with all of this? Throughout all of that, there's a basic understanding that God has a certain set of standards that we're supposed to understand, we're supposed to study them, we're supposed to know them, and then put those into practice. Because, the end of verse 3 God created them to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. It, Paul's not focusing on marriage or on the food. He's focusing on this idea of if you know Christ, if you know him, God is the one who's designed all of this 
And so he's designed it, he's created it for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, for us to, to love him through these things. We need to know the truth, we need to understand it, we need to believe what God has revealed to us. That's, that's why we study God's word, that's why we take time to, to really delve into those. And I know I'm, I'm brushing past a lot of the specific details about, okay, what does God say about marriage? Yeah, we, we could take time and dig into that and, and recognize, you know, God created it for a man and a woman for life. And that that's God's goal and that that's God's plan. We could dig into the food laws and recognize that, okay, there were certain things throughout the Old Testament that God said, don't eat these for this reason, don't eat those for that reason, do these things, don't, don't do those things, all of that. And, and those are great studies. I, I highly recommend them. But when it comes down to it, I think that Paul's point is we get so wrapped up in all of these do's and don'ts and all of these restrictions and such. And what we really need to to get down to is this idea that he expresses at the end of verse 3. They're to be gratefully shared. So we, we enjoy the things that God made with gratitude towards him when we know, when we believe and know the truth. Verse 4, he then explains that. Everything created by God is good. That's what, that's what God says when he gets done creating. It is good. Behold, it is very good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. And I think that that, that then becomes the key that Paul's emphasizing in both of these, in understanding how do we deal with these false doctrines, these false teachers, this, this stuff that's going on around us in, in the world, I, it's so easy to get caught up in pinpointing all of the, the issues and the flaws and the errors. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but I think it comes down to, okay, how do we understand what God has said? We need to know the truth, not get caught up in all of that stuff. And we need to be grateful to God as we understand things, as we recognize, oh, this is something that God created to be enjoyed in this way. Okay, how do we do that and then say thank you and be grateful for those things? He says, uh, verse 4 and 5, For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified or it's set apart. It's made, made acceptable by means of the word of God and prayer. So last week, I, I made a comment about um, counterfeiters. And how, how is it that you, you guys remember we like money, most people? Well, how is it that you know what is real and what is false? By studying what is true. By when, when a counterfeiter or when a uh, bank teller is studying and preparing for their job, they study what is right, what is good money, what is true and accurate, instead of all of the, the fake stuff that comes out. Because counterfeiters are always coming up with a new way to, to make a fake dollar bill. The, and, I mean, they, they get some pretty high-tech, some pretty in- interesting ones. If you've ever looked at, at some fake bills, they're, they're kind of fun to see. And they can look really, really close. Or they can look like obviously fake Monopoly money. But the goal of the bank teller is to know what is true. What is the right and the real bill? And I think, I think when we get into this section, yes, we need to know what is, what is false. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't understand those. But I think the goal that, that Paul's pointing out is that we need to know the truth. We need to know what is, what is real and accurate. And that that's what he's been 
encouraging Timothy all the way through so far. And that's where we get into specific uh, instructions that he's given about how we're supposed to pray and what prayer is, how women are supposed to act, how men are supposed to act, how leaders are supposed to act, how all of these things fit together. We need to know those, we need to understand those, and we need to put those into practice. And I think he's going to get a little bit more into that in the next section. But the main focus of, of this first part, I think, is that idea of, of when we believe and know the truth, all of that stuff that God has created, we understand what is God's goal, what is God's desire in that, and then how do we use that? How do we enjoy that? Ultimately, we need to enjoy it by giving thanks back to God for his blessings, for his creative act, for all of that. And so Paul has been dealing with this, this issue of there are false teachers, and this is to be expected. They're going to they're gonna happen. The Spirit explicitly states that. There are going to be people who fall away from the faith because they get distracted. They start paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And he points out two specific ones, that idea of forbidding marriage and advocating the abstaining from foods, which God created to be enjoyed and gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Because we recognize that everything created by God is good, and it's not to be rejected, if it is received with gratitude. Because it's been sanctified, or set apart, or made right, made holy, by means of the word of God and prayer. And so, as a result, he moves in then to that next section, verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I sometimes wonder, we, we aren't told a ton about Timothy. We know that he's a young man. We know that he's been put in this position for a reason, that, that Paul has encouraged him to stay there at Ephesus and to, to work with that church and develop them. But sometimes I, I kind of wonder how young was Timothy? How, what, what was his maturity level? What was going on? Because I, I kind of wonder, and... and Honestly, sometimes I, I experience this myself. Is like, okay, he's been called to be a pastor. And, and you start looking at that and like, man, that's a, that's a tough thing. That's a high calling. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. What if, what if you say something wrong? What if you, you don't know all the answers? What if, what if, what if? And I, I think here Paul is kind of encouraging Timothy and saying, hey, I, I understand. I understand. It's challenging because there's so much that you can know about the Bible. Um, there are so many questions and details and, and information, and it's, it's good to study those. It's important to study those and to get into those. But I, I think here Paul is kind of giving Timothy a little bit of reassurance, a little bit of encouragement. It's like, if you want to be a good servant of Christ, if you want to do what is right, just point these things out. Remind people of, well, what does the Bible say? You'll hear us saying that around here over and over and over again. Well, what does the Bible say? How, where, where does it say that? Pointing them back to Scripture, that is the, the requirement or the goal to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, he says that you will be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And that, that verse, verse 6, kind of stuck out to me as I, was, as I was reading through this over and over again. I'm like, this is, this is kind of interesting. Who is it that's going to be nourished? Who is it that's going to be strengthened and become strong? 
You can read it. It's, it's right there. It says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished. Timothy. And I, I, got, I got thinking about that, and I'm like, wow, how true is that? Now, how many of you have been teachers? I know there's, there's quite a few who have taught something in some way. Okay. And, and there's this, this concept, this idea that when you teach, you actually learn more. Anybody else ever experienced that? And I, I got thinking about that, and I'm like, okay. Okay, that makes sense, right? If Timothy studies these things, learns these things, and then just points them out, and, and this is one of those, he's not saying, you know, you've got to demand these, you've got to go after them, you've got to, he's just saying, hey, point, point this out to people. Remind them of these things. And as a result, you will be strengthened, you will be nourished in the truth. And, and that kind of was interesting to me the first time I read across it. I'm like, okay, how does that work? But as I began thinking about it and, and studying through, I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've studied through a passage to be ready to preach it and learn so much more than I can possibly put into just one sermon. Or, you know, before that, I, I had an opportunity to teach a Wednesday night Bible study at our church years ago. And I, I was studying and preparing and digging in and, and just so many things that there's no way to teach to somebody else. And so I think that, the, that that's one of the things that Paul's saying here is, you know, it's very simple. It's very easy to understand this. If you point out the truth to people, to the brethren, you will be a good servant. But in doing that, you will also be constantly nourished on the words. Because in order to tell somebody else what the truth is, you've got to know it, right? You've got to study it. You've got to dig into it. And so... I think that one of the things that, that Paul's encouraging Timothy here is just as you, as you point these things out, as you remind people of the truth, that's going to have an impact on you being constantly nourished and strengthened in those things. But he does have a warning that follows along in verse 7. He says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. We call those old wives' tales. Now, I'm, I'm going to guess that you probably know a few of those. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving down the road and we saw a red sky. You guys ever ever heard a, an old wives' tale about the red sky in the evening? Okay. Sailor sky. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Do what? It that one that one is specifically actually in scripture in Matthew, which I think is kind of cool. There are a bunch of those around us. And um, I, I had a grandma that knew a lot of those. And she would, she would share some of them with me. And I, I continue to share them with my kids. Um, but th- on the other ones, the ones not contained in Scripture, um, I have to pause and be like, okay, one, one of the ones that she used was, um, if you look up at the sky and there's enough blue to make a pair of jeans, it's not going to rain. You guys ever heard that one? I, I take it no. Okay, that was one of her things. If if you could look up and there was enough blue, then then it wasn't going to rain. I'm like okay, but then I then I read this and I I'm like okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is Paul telling Timothy here? Have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. And I mean that nicely. I, I I'm not. 
my grandma had, had this tendency to, to repeat a lot of these and focus on them. And she would plan her, her gardening based on those. And, and not just was she aware of them, but would actually make adjustments in what she would do based on these old wives' tales. And, and I remember having a conversation with her at one point about that and trying to understand. I was, I was just a kid at the time, trying to understand, you know, how do you do that? Why do you do that? I, I think, I, I don't think that what Paul is saying here is that when those things come up, that they are automatically terrible and horrible and you should never even allow them to be said. At least I, I hope so, because I am teaching those to some of my kids, um, an awareness of them. I think what his point is, that same idea, don't let that control you. Don't adjust your life. Don't be living based on these things. Don't have those as the foundation and the point of what you're doing. And I think because of the emphasis that he, he puts on it, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, oh, well, you can dabble in it and do a little bit of it. It does say have nothing to do with worldly fables. Don't allow those to, to become your focus and what you do and how you live your life and what becomes of even, I would say, to the things of like how you plant your garden. That indicates or shows how you're living and who you're trusting and what you're doing. Instead, or in contrast to that, he says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And I think this is where that example that I had all the way back at the beginning really comes into play as we start looking at this. Discipline yourself for godliness. We've gone through all of these, these different things, this, this stuff that comes up of, of you know, there are, there are false teachers that are around, they're going to cause problems, you should expect this, you should be aware that it's going to happen. Don't get distracted by that. Don't fall into the lies and the hypocrisy. What the Bible says, what God has revealed, what God has created is good. That's where we need to focus. Don't get focused on these... these um, old wives' tales, these worldly fables that are only fit for old women. Instead, be focused on the truth. And as a result, that's going to impact how you live. It's going to change how you live. On the other hand, discipline yourself. That's where this idea of going to the gym becomes very difficult. It's really easy to look at somebody who's big and strong and be like, man, that'd be cool. I wish I had muscles like that. Or who's, who's athletic and able to move and, and run or, I mean, whatever that physical capability is. But what does it take to get there? It takes discipline. It takes constantly working at it. It's not just once, not just twice. It's over and over and over of regular discipline. But what is he focused on? What is he disciplining himself for and two, it's not these false teachings. It's not even those worldly fables. Those things that, I mean, they're, they're interesting. And, and surprisingly enough, a lot of them actually contain an element of truth to them. It's, it gets pretty accurate. But I think it, what he's saying is don't, don't put your focus on that. Don't spend your time working on understanding all of these. Instead, you need to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, verse, verse 8 says, Bodily discipline is, o- is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable in all things, since, this hold promise, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I've heard this one, and I, I, I've at times thought, yes, 
That means I don't have to go exercise and work out. Well, that's not what he's saying. He says it's only of a little profit. It has value. In fact, we know that if you, if you do any kind of research at all, you understand that people who work out and exercise and take care of themselves physically tend to live longer, healthier, better lives. So it's got value in this life for a little amount of time. But he contrasts that and he says, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I think it it comes down to an idea of where are you putting your priorities in this discipline? Yes, physical exercise, physical discipline is good. It It has value, it has point, but it's only limited. Whereas disciplining yourself or putting in that level of effort, that, that work, because building muscles is hard. I don't currently, but back in the day, I used to spend time on that kind of a thing. And it, it's difficult. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes setting aside time. And I don't, I don't think that Paul's saying that that's pointless, but he's saying there's something of greater value. There's something of more lasting value. If you look around at people who 10, 15, 20 years ago were big and strong, that fades. It goes away. I actually uh, had an opportunity one time to talk to a guy who knew someone that had competed in the Olympics and, and won. I don't think they got gold. I think it was silver, but, but did really well. And nobody had any idea who, who they even were anymore because it was in the past. All that work and all that time and all that effort that they had put into becoming the best in their field physically was pointless. It was gone. It faded away. I think pretty quickly. I think what Paul's doing here is saying, hey, that physical activity, that physical workout that, that people put so much effort and emphasis on, which is, is good, it has value, but it fades away. So it's only good for a little while. Instead, something is of greater value because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Well, that then becomes the question, what is that? What is godliness? How do we exercise that? How do we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? What does that take? Well, that's, that's where, as I was reading through this, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is such a simple, simple passage it's not that hard. I, I'm going to guess that each of you know something that God wants you to do that you don't do. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to point it out to you and, and be like, oh, well, you're not. But we're, we're in the third month. How many of you at the beginning of the year said to yourself, I'm going to read through the entire Bible this year? You don't, don't raise your hand or anything. Or, or said, I'm going to start every single morning reading my Bible. Or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray more. We come up with things of that nature. Or I'm going to be at church every single time that the doors are open. Or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you're like, you know, I, I really ought to. I should. That, that's where I, I love this comparison. When I was in the army, it was very easy to say, well, I should go to the gym. And then go to the DFAC instead, dining facility instead. And, and eat a hamburger instead of going and working out. I think that that's really the core of this entire section, is that there are so many false doctrines and so many false things. Even 
these, these worldly fables that's really easy to get distracted on. And it, it's like those hamburgers. It's like those cheeseburgers. You, you start eating them and get focused on those, and you get away from going to the gym. I think that there are so many things in the world around us, like these false doctrines, like these false teachings, that, that some of them are, are just kind of fluff. People, people get focused in, and some of them are like poison. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I, am, I recognize that the, the analogy loses out eventually. But there are these things that draw us away, that cause us not to put our focus and our dedication on strengthening ourselves in godliness. And we, we look at that term, that, that idea of godliness, and it's really easy to be like, oh, well, you know, what does that take? That's so hard. It's, it takes effort. It takes, I don't, I don't even know what it would be. And I'm reminded of that, that young man that I had the opportunity to work with who had, I mean, massive biceps. He was big and strong, really, really a nice guy because God got a hold of his life. And he trusted Christ and he said, you know what? I want to live my life for him. But he was clueless. He had no idea. Well, what, what will that take? And we started pointing him to some basic scriptures, some basic ideas. And he started working on those and developing in those. And as he got more and more in that, I mean, he, he didn't even know what the Gospels were or what an Old Testament and a New Testament were. I mean, we, we started base level. Like, okay, let's, let's understand what is the Bible. Where did that come from? How do, we, how do we then study it and start learning from it? How do we put that into practice? And as he continued working, I worked with him for about six months. And kind of at the end of that, he, he was like, man, there's so much I don't know. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for years and there's so much I don't know. But just like that person who exercises physically, and develops their muscles, and develops their skills. I asked him, okay, so at what point are you done? When do you reach the point that you're like, I don't have to go to the gym anymore? And he, he looked at me like, never? Exactly. There's always opportunity to continue to grow and work and develop. And so I, I think what Paul's doing here is bringing in this idea where there's all kinds of stuff that distract away from godliness, away from scripture, away from what the Bible says. Sometimes that's food. Sometimes that's false teaching. Sometimes it's, it has to do with marriage and, and the culture and what's going on and things like that. But we, as followers of Christ, need to discipline ourselves, put in the effort, put in the work to focus on what is the truth. What does the Bible say? How do we then take that? And, and we could spend lots and lots of time nitpicking through and trying to identify the, very, the, the specifics, or we can recognize that this is a constant, continuous thing. The day in and day out, week in and week out. It's not something that, just like building muscles, it's not something you go to the gym once and you put everything into it and then you walk away and say, no, well, now I'm big and strong. No, it takes Lots and lots and lots of time and continuous effort. And so we could dig into, well, what does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about food? But I think that the point that Paul's getting at here is that we, as followers of Christ, need to be constantly working on understanding what is the Bible. What does it have to say? Day in and day out. 
And, and whether you decide, you know what, when I wake up in the morning, that's the best time to read, or right before I go to bed, that's the best time to read. I, I can't tell you when the best time to exercise spiritually is. But I can tell you that you need to find that time and put in the effort. We get down to verse 9, and Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance. He's actually used that phrase multiple times already, and each of them is, is very profound, very important. But here he says, it is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Part of me wants to save that verse and connect it in with next week. And I think we will because there's a lot involved in that. But the point for this week of what we're, what we're pulling out of this is that idea that we, we labor, we strive, we work hard on this, not because of it makes us look big and strong and, and healthy and all of that, but because we have put our focus and our hope on the living God. Not getting distracted by all these other things, but focusing on who is God? Who is he really? What does he expect of me? Am I willing to put in the time and the effort that it takes to become stronger in him. Going back to the idea of the gym, if you've ever walked in and looked around, there's all kinds of different levels of people. You'll see some that are, that are already big and ripped, and you'll see some, more like me, that walk in, and you can tell they haven't been there for a very long time. I want to encourage you. There's a lot in Scripture. There's so much. But just like those times when you walk into a gym and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know the first thing about this. That's okay. Keep going back. Keep digging in. And then you find one of those guys who's, who's a little bit further along than you are. Be like, hey, can you give me a pointer? And they're going to, if you've, most of the time, people at gyms are generally pretty nice. They'll be like, oh yeah, what, what are you working on? Oh, well, you could do this. And they'll give you a particular exercise. But the key then is not to just say, oh, hey, good information and walk on. But how do you then start putting that into practice and doing that exercise and working? So the, the whole point, and I know I, I ramble sometimes, but my whole point this morning is as we study God's word, as we dig in, I want to encourage you that there's so much that we need to be putting into practice and doing, and it takes effort and discipline and a continuous nature. It's not something that you can just get once and then be done with. It's something that we need to work on constantly. And no matter what level you're at, there's always opportunity to grow and develop. And there comes a point at which you get to start teaching someone else or helping someone else. And you look at yourself and you're like, no, there's, there's no way. No, no, I'm not, I'm not a teacher. If you come on, on Sunday nights, we have our men's thing. And there are some men in there, I'm not going to tell you or them their names, but there are some men in there who, who I know would say to themselves, I can't teach. I don't know the Bible well enough. And yet in our interactions, in our discussions, they remind me of things that I should have known already. I mean, I don't deny that. But they remind me of things like, man, that's cool. And the fact that that man remembered it, realized it, I think that that nourished him, strengthened him, and it also 
helped me. And I think that's the point that Paul's getting at with Timothy here. Doesn't matter if you're the strongest, the biggest, the bestest ever, or if you're just starting out on this, this path we call the faith in Christ. Wherever it is that you're at, you ought to be helping someone else, encouraging them, strengthening them, and together we are able to, to draw closer to Christ. And it takes work, and it takes effort, and it's a constant, continuous thing. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, sometimes we look at these challenges and it can be overwhelming. It can be difficult. It can be more than we could possibly handle. And yet that's the point that we need to reach and realize that we can't do it alone. We're not able, but you are. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to discipline ourselves, to become disciplined in godliness. Taking the things that we learn, taking the, the things that we study, taking these various ideas, not allowing ourselves to be distracted by the, the teachings of the world around us, but that we would focus on you day in and day out to make it a regular part of our lives to draw closer to you, to be strengthened in you. And I know that there are false teachings out there, and we do have to deal with those. But Lord, more than that, help us to know the truth. Thank you that we do recognize it has value both in this world and the world to come. Help us to draw closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.